Thinking aloud. Conversations on the leading edge of knowledge and discovery with psychologist Jeffrey Mishlove. Hello, I'm Jeffrey Mishlove. Today we are going to explore the idea of the paranormal. With me is Dr. Terja Simonsen. He's Norwegian. In fact, I'm conducting a Skype interview between Albuquerque, New Mexico and Norway. He is an expert on the history of ideas and he is the author of a wonderful encyclopedic book called Our Secret Powers, Telepathy, Clairvoyance, and Precognition, A Short History of Nearly Everything Paranormal. And I have to say, this is, if you wanted to study parapsychology in a single book, I think this one might just be the best book available today. I highly recommend it. And now I'm going to switch over to the Skype video. Again, welcome, Terry. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be with you. Uh, you've been in your professional career exploring the history of ideas. And amongst all of these ideas, the, the notion of the paranormal is quite unusual because in, in my understanding, in, in many ancient cultures, they address the very same phenomenon that today are labeled paranormal, but they didn't use that sort of a label. I think to ancient people, this was considered a, a normal uh, range of phenomena, not paranormal. Would would you say that's the case? Well, yes, to a certain extent, at least. Of course, uh, one was aware of something was part of daily life and something was, say, more extraordinary. But uh, it was we they did not have this sharp distinction that uh, appeared probably uh, well uh, after the scientific revolution and in the 15th, 16th century. Mm -hmm. So, uh, as you said, ancient uh, cultures uh, in the in the West, uh, the ancient Greeks, the ancient Romans, and also uh, indigenous cultures uh, around the world have uh, say a much more flexible uh, arrangement between what we call normal and paranormal. Mm -hmm. And uh, in since the rise of the industrial age, since well, perhaps since the Renaissance, we have had this notion in philosophy, for example, that uh, if somebody proposes a phenomenon that seems miraculous, uh, it cannot be true that miracles uh, are somehow against the natural order. Mm -hmm. Yeah, uh, that is uh, because of uh, say the laws of nature are formulated strictly become much more uh, say uh, articulated after this uh, uh, as you say the Renaissance. Uh, still in the Renaissance, they were quite open to such phenomena. Uh, there's lots of uh, books on uh, Renaissance magic. Uh, Marsilio Ficino, for instance, who was the leader of the Platonic uh, Academy uh, in in Florence, he also was a great magician. Uh, so they did see that uh, as a say uh, they were more kind of complementary uh, complementary uh, say of use of reality they were not uh, opposites and when you refer to Ficino as a magician I know you don't mean uh, stage magic oh yes no <laughs> uh, no uh, he uh, 
say he has written about magic in in uh, kind of say spiritual connections between man and nature and how to I would use the word admis- administer or even manipulate those connections. Mm-hmm. I mean, Ficino is regarded, one might say, as, as one of the important contributors to the Western esoteric tradition. Oh, yes. Mm-hmm. And also to, to um, you know, it was uh, this banquier Cosimo di Medici, he started the, the, the Platonic Academy and uh, gave Ficino the responsibility for that. Uh, but even before the translation of Plato's uh, writings, uh, Ficino uh, went to work to, to translate the Hermetic Corpus, you know, mm-hmm. uh, because uh, Cosimo was uh, aging and felt he was uh, soon about to die. So he wanted to read the Hermetic uh, writings uh, before Plato. So that says something of the importance of, of uh, say, the occult in the Renaissance. Yes, this is very interesting because we think of the Renaissance as sort of inaugurating a uh, a rebirth of ancient Greek and uh, perhaps even Roman culture, uh, sort of a new high culture in in Europe, uh, and it's often not appreciated the role that what we now call the occult or the paranormal mm-hmm. played in in that uh, very important cultural epoch. Oh yes, yes, that's true, and it was has been uh, denigrated uh, uh, because of you know the uh, uh, the storyline or, or the narrative of the modernity is that somehow we are getting more and more rational, and so we have to write out of history uh, everything that does not fit with that uh, narrative, uh, and of course it's like you have uh, some kind of relatives you know having a sh- done shady business in the past, you know, and science has really done lots of shady business because this was very. Uh, much uh, together with astrology, uh, astronomy uh, grew out of uh, astrology, and also uh, chemistry grew uh, out of alchemy. So they have some to, something to be ashamed of uh, <laughs> in light of this narrative of, of the rationality. But of course, the, the Renaissance philosopher did not view that uh, in, in this light at all. Uh, they see, as, uh, as I said, as a complementary, uh, complementary summit from from uh, the earthly um, the aspects of the world and others about the heavenly aspects of the world. It's just science about uh, different kind of or uh, different aspects of reality. And uh, you refer to Cosimo Medici, who yes. he was, uh, I think he was a pope, was he not? Oh, no, no. That, uh, th- there came lots of Medici popes from that family uh, later on, but Cosimo was a banquier, uh-huh. and uh, he, he inherited his father's banquier's business. Uh, his father was uh, already, say, stinking rich, but Cosimo was extremely uh, clever, and he cooperated with, uh, with the people, um, you know, the Vatican, uh, because they could, uh, via his banking services, they could administer churches in England and in Germany and France and so on. So, so there was a very nice cooperation. Uh, a holy or unholy alliance, how you mm-hmm. choose to see it. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, okay, he was a banker, uh, and yet he seemed to have a deep interest in the hermetic tradition. 
Oh yes, uh, he was. He became. Uh, he started out uh, quite, you know, uh, just uh, being uh, into this uh, about money and so. But he became really a true lover of books because uh, you know the humanities from the antiques and uh, the old manuscripts, both from uh, uh, the Middle East, but also from uh, Byzantine Constantinople. And so, so he uh, financed uh, fi- financed lots of expeditions to collect old manuscripts from a whole the known world at that time. And it was not just one. One uh, expedition, I think it was 50 expeditions or so we financed. Mm-hmm. Well, there are many different uh, mystical traditions. Uh, can you say something about the Hermetic tradition? What distinguishes it from uh, other forms of uh, esoteric thought? Well, you know, it's a kind of uh, it, it's defined by a, uh, by a collection of fifteen or perhaps sixteen, seventeen uh, texts called the Corpus Hermeticum, and uh, it's a kind of uh, syncretistic uh, uh, mixture of uh, say uh, Platonic philosophy uh, and also a different kind of religious tradition uh, from from the Middle East uh, that blended in Alexandria, you know, uh, and uh, it, it's kind of uh, uh, just as I say, the Hellenism, uh, the culture under the, uh, Alexander the Great was a mixture of all cultures, a melting pot for, uh, for, uh, around the, the, the Mediterranean. Uh, the Hermetic uh, tradition is kind of a religious expression of that melting pot. Mm-hmm. And the very word Hermetic suggests the uh, ancient Greek god Hermes. Uh, is that correct? Yes, in a way it's correct, but uh, the Hermes of the uh, Hermetic traditions basically is um, is a kind of Egyptian uh, uh, wise man or a semi-god called Hermes Trismegistus, uh, that means the, the thrice great. The, the, because he mastered uh, uh, different aspects of philosophy and, uh, you know, rhetoric and uh, knowledge, really. So so it's a kind of incarnation of uh, the perfect uh, demi-human, uh, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, in other words, the idea was, I suppose, that the, uh, the culmination of wisdom is uh, to have a uh, an appreciation of uh, these uh, esoteric realities. Yes, it is. And uh, much of the Hermetic, say, the philosophy is based on uh, Neoplatonism, you know, the tradition after Plato that uh, focused on his uh, celestial, uh, the, the, the world of ideas and so. And uh, important is uh, Plotin. Uh, I don't know what the English pronunciation, but uh, it's, he was an Egyptian uh, Neoplatonist. And uh, and so it became a kind of a philosophical foundation for uh, for this occult tradition. Mm-hmm. And then they also borrowed from, as I said, from the Middle East, from different traditions, from Mithraism and from uh, different... Uh, so it's kind of a mixture, but uh, the philosophical fundament is uh, Neoplatonism, really. I, I see. Well, my understanding is you ter- used the term magician earlier when referring to Ficino, and they, they practiced uh, a form of magic called theurgy. Yes. Uh, there's a different forms of magic. Uh, theurgy is uh, somehow invocation of uh, celestial powers. Uh, that could be gods, it could be angels, it could be spirits uh, by, uh, by say, uh, burning incense uh, and, and uh, chanting kind of mantras, the holy names, and so and so. And uh, the theurgy is part of both Roman tradition and also uh, the Jewish tradition, the, the early uh, Kabbalah. So mm-hmm. it's very, very important pa- part of uh, of 
high magic. There also is this low magic, you know, where you mix dirt from uh, the graveyard to, to hurt your enemy and that kind of stuff. That is not the Renaissance magic. That's a noble magic. The, the, it's about bringing the light down. You also see, the, in fact, in the Islamic uh, tradition, Sufi, you know, the, when they uh, swirl, they have this uh, one uh, right uh, arm stretched to go uh, towards the heaven mm -hmm. to take down the blessing and the light and the other to, to distribute it out to the world. So it's the kind of the theogist is the kind of link between uh, the celestial uh, realms and uh, and uh, the earthly realms. So magic is really a kind of important spiritual work making the world a better place. And these traditions of magical practice, I mean, they go back uh, to the earliest known uh, human writings, to the Vedas in India, to the ancient Egyptian uh, manuscripts and uh, that we have. Yes, a very ancient tradition. It's impossible to say when it started, you know. And, of course, is there a strict line between uh, this uh, kind of magic and shamanism? Uh, that's difficult to say. Shamanism at least go back 30,000 years, they say. Uh, so, uh, it's uh, at least we can say it's a very ancient tradition. Mm -hmm. So, in more recent times, you've done an excellent job of documenting uh, the scientific progress that's been made maybe in the last 150 years uh, to exploring the very same phenomena that the magicians and uh, occultists and hermeticists and uh, so on were exploring. But now uh, there's a scientific twist. Yes, uh, it's the, the birth of uh, parapsychology, uh, really, because one uh, one found that these phenomena, uh, well, they continue to happen even if uh, we had become very rational and very scientific. So, uh, still there were reports about uh, clairvoyance, about telepathy, and so on. So, so uh, there, there, there grew a need to explain those phenomena, and uh, that turned uh, after, say, 100 years or so, of uh, more or less... Uh, uh, <laughs> spread uh, research from, from interested uh, uh, singular individuals. It grew into uh, academic parapsychology. Uh, uh, Joseph Banks Ryan in, in the 20s mostly is. I think he would be reasonable to, to, to declare as the founder of academic parapsychology. Mm -hmm. Well, you've done a wonderful job in your book of uh, documenting the many, many different threads of, of research in parapsychology. And I wonder, as a historian of ideas, how, how does it strike you? Many people would say, for example, that uh, it's trying to evaluate these phenomena through the lens of science uh, mm. is, is not a good approach for a variety of reasons. Uh, and that's a very valid uh, opinion uh, in my view, but uh, still, it. Uh, what, what can I say? Um, very. Uh, these phenomena tend to 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 uh, occur when um, people are somehow very engaged in something. You know, um, uh, if you are in a personal crisis, for instance, as Jung pointed out, uh, there uh, will often happen uh, kind of special uh, events, synchronicities, for instance. Uh, and uh, if you take, uh, for instance, uh, telepathy as an ex example, uh, there are lots of reports when, say, a person uh, die in a foreign country, uh, his family will somehow feel his or her presence in their own home, and uh, often as a kind of a goodbye. Uh, that is a, a very common experience. 
Mm -hmm. uh, basically, in here in Norway, you know, there was this uh, oil rig that went down uh, uh, some, uh, I don't remember exactly how many years ago, but uh, uh, it, it was named Alexander Shellan, and uh, many people died there. And, uh, you know, that was before the age of the mobile phones. And uh, there are many, many reports from families uh, that they had visits from the, the rig workers that went down. So they could not have any normal way of knowing about this catastrophe. So, so that's that is what's called is called a crisis telepathy. Yeah. But of course, in a lab uh, laboratory, you cannot kill a person just to see if his family <laughs> <laughs> will get telepathic messages from him. Yeah. So therefore, it's uh, the laboratory is. Uh, it's not an ideal environment to, to explore those phenomena because the ex existential engagement is not that strong as in real life. Mm -hmm. So it, it seems as if, from your point of view, the emotional need of the, the people involved is, is crucial in terms of the manifestation of these phenomena. Uh, uh, at least uh, th this emotional component is conducive or uh, conductive uh, um, to, mm -hmm. to uh, those. Uh, 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 there are lots of experiments in the lab that uh, has uh, documented these effects, uh, Gansfeld, as they say, and that there are many, many uh, forms of experiments you can prove that, but uh, the effects are much smaller than in real life. Mm -hmm. Well, an interesting essential engagement, yeah. An, an interesting thing to me is, is especially reading your book, and you can see you've documented, I don't know, dozens and dozens of successful experiments in different countries and using different uh, approaches, and, and yet uh, the phenomenon still seems to be on the fringes of our culture. There are very few people in academia who, who are allowed to explore this arena. Mm. Yeah, that is what uh, we have said, that the narrative about rationality uh, does not include those phenomena, uh, because of this uh, uh, Newtonian physics that does not allow for uh, a phenomenon as a non-locality, for instance. Yeah. But as you very well know, uh, some modern physicists, uh, for instance, Nobel Prize winner Wolfgang Pauli, he, he uh, considered non-locality to be uh, very much a part of uh, our, say, natural world, and uh, so that there was no conflict, as he saw it, between science and those phenomena at all. But, uh, you know, from the perspective, if you see it in history of science, uh, you know, Thomas Kuhn, uh, he said that there, uh, every uh, science or even an age ha has a paradigm, uh, which is the playbook for, for, for this uh, science. And uh, you have to play by the book. Uh, and if you get phenomena that does not fit with this playbook, you have to, uh, say, dump them in a lowly footnote in your uh, thesis and uh, indicate that they are not important or you perhaps even forget them. Uh, so, but uh, when the, 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 these phenomena are called uh, anomalies, that will uh, are normal, that means does not follow the law. Uh, but when uh, they become more and more anomalies, uh, at, uh, at a certain point, uh, the paradigm, uh, old paradigm will burst, and then we will get a new paradigm that is more inclusive. Uh, that has not happened yet, but I think we are on the brink of that to happen. Well, w would you say uh, in your country, in Norway, that uh, people are more receptive uh, to the paranormal than uh, in other countries? 
Uh, not uh, academics, no. Uh, uh, as I write in my book, uh, I once discussed with a quite famous professor about her view on clairvoyance, which she is uh, uh, convinced is real. Uh, but uh, she would not. Uh, uh, she was not willing to go out public and say that because of uh, her reputation. Uh, she felt she would be done for at the faculty. <laughs> hmm. So, in other words, one might say that the same rational uh, distancing from the paranormal uh, is throughout Western culture. Yeah, it seems so, because it's, uh, you know, you have the same kind of, uh, uh, yeah, the same paradigm, really, which is uh, made by the Newton physics and also what they call the mechanistic worldview. It's a reductionist uh, uh, worldview and also uh, the conception of, of space and time, uh, which is very rigid and uh, not uh, well. We have ideas that do not really fit with reality. It's interesting that you bring up Newton because uh, he himself was deeply interested in alchemy and in uh, the esoteric. In fact, he wrote more pages about uh, alchemy and the esoteric than about, say, normal science. Mm -hmm. And and yet, when people uh, want to reject the paranormal, they often <laughs> refer to Newton, as as you just did. <laughs> Uh, but that is, as I said, part of the uh, narrative, you know. So uh, the parts of Newton that did not fit with this rational uh, narrative was written out. Mm. Uh, but a uh, newer historian of ideas uh, has uh, somehow uh, more and more included these aspects of Newton. And you know where he also wrote quite a lot of biblical prophecies about uh, numerology and such uh, things. So, And I have seen some of these manuscripts in, in, in Corpus, you know. It's, uh, it's, it's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> and he also... He also practiced alchemy, you know, I, I don't remember exactly uh, which time of year, but he started to burn this fire, you know, and uh, have the beaks just boiling for months and months and months to, to observe this, these processes. I guess you could say Newton was not a Newtonian. Uh, that's a very good way to put it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Any more, I suppose, than Jesus was a Christian. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. But um, now there are some other interesting ideas related to the paranormal. For example, there's the uh, vast corpus of psychological writings of Carl Jung that uh, seem to go a long way to incorporating what we call paranormal phenomena into a main, more of a mainstream understanding of human psychology. Oh yes, uh, Jung is very, very uh, important uh, there, and uh, many do not know that, but he, in fact, was a good friend, a friend of Einstein's. <laughs> they often dined together, uh, and uh, he was inspired by uh, the, uh, Einstein's concept of uh, relativity of, of uh, space and time when he formulated his concept of synchronicity, uh, that is kind of connections uh, between the psyche and, and the surrounding world that is not, uh, say, logged by the normal psychology and he had lot uh, he had lots of paranormal experiences himself in his autobiography there, there are swarms of paranormal episodes and uh, also of course this important uh, collaborations with, with uh, the former mentioned uh, Wolfgang Pauli the Nobel Prize winner in physics uh, they cooperated for more than 20 years uh, and discussed those ideas how to make both the psychology and uh, physics more inclusive to those aspects of reality Mm -hmm. uh, another important trend, I, it seems to me, in recent years is, is an effort by serious philosophers to really question the materi 
realistic paradigm of uh, the modern era. Yes, and in fact, uh, especially the, the, the integration of consciousness, because uh, in former, uh, as we discussed earlier in this program, uh, the Platonic tradition and uh, also uh, same mainstream European philosophy, consciousness is very important. Uh, the soul, uh, you know, it is kind of a, a noble, heavenly thing. It's not just uh, impulses uh, made uh, out of uh, the boiling of the brain. So, uh, the, uh, and uh, the part of the materialistic reductionist paradigm we have had in modernity has not left uh, a space for consciousness to to uh, to have and say perceity, uh, an existence uh, in and of itself. And I think there has happened something uh, with quantum physics because somehow we see. Uh, if you go to also another physicist, uh, Evgen Wigner, uh, he said uh, without a kind of uh, omnipresent consciousness. Uh, the world cannot become manifest because it is consciousness that collapses the quantum waves and, and make it uh, manifest. So, so uh, consciousness is, in fact, before uh, the matter. Mm. Now, I, I've spoken to a number of uh, physicists and, and people studying physics recently who say that Wigner's viewpoint, uh, also known, I think, as the von Neumann viewpoint, uh, that consciousness is responsible for collapsing the wave function, that you cannot do physics without consciousness, that, that's being challenged, that the, the mainstream physicists prefer other interpretations that don't entail consciousness. Would, would you say that's true in your experience? Well, you know, uh, Dean Radin, who probably is the most famous uh, famous psychologist today, and uh, he is, uh, as you well know, doctor in psychology and uh, electro engineer and very well oriented. He says uh, in conferences he has uh, uh, visited uh, the notion about the importance of consciousness is quite uh, at the forefront. Mm -hmm. So, uh, Probably a lot of different uh, milieus competing about how to define what physics is to become. You have those uh, reduction, quite funny guy, but uh, Lawrence Krauss, you know, and uh, those kind of people, and of course uh, biologists like uh, Richard Dawkins, and so it's, they are reductionists. But uh, there are quite a lot of. Uh, we have this Nobel Prize winner, beautiful guy uh, Brian Josephson in Cambridge. Uh, he, he won the Nobel Prize in uh, 1973 about uh, superconductivity, and uh, in fact uh, that was shared with a Norwegian guy. So that is why I know that. <laughs> uh, but he 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 is uh, he he um, say gives much more importance to to, to consciousness, uh, and uh, Josephson also inspired by the this old Indian Vedanta uh, philosophy. Uh, he used to, at least when he was younger, to meditate quite a lot also. Uh, he was, I think he was a uh, more or less disciple of uh, Maharishi when he was young, but uh, uh, Maharishi basically uh, uh, used uh, Vedanta philosophy, just making it a bit more modern to fit uh, the Western world. So, so Josephson is one uh, great physicist uh, that we would say uh, that uh, consciousness is uh, yeah, crucial mm -hmm. to... Yeah. Well, you express some optimism, though, that things, things are changing, that the academic climate is becoming more open to the paranormal. Can you elaborate on that? 
Uh, well, as I said, uh, Radin uh, uh, does quite a lot of traveling, and he was recently uh, in Germany, uh, and then, uh, I don't remember, it was a big German company that wanted to have blessings on their products. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> so that is not a kind of a standard uh, reductionist uh, rationalism. And that is because yeah, they have found that uh, the intention about things really, uh, it's a, yeah, the old Buddhist tradition about blessing tea, for instance. Uh, they have found <laughs> that um, uh, people drinking blessed tea have a bit more increased uh, uh, better mood than people uh, drinking just normal tea. So intention is a factor in, in what constitutes the, the, the physical reality. I've even heard they say the tea tastes better. <laughs> Probably it does. I don't know that. But uh, Radin has done some quite interesting experiments and uh, done it, uh, you know, double-blind studies with uh, following strict uh, rational protocol, in fact. And, and uh, uh, it seems to, to be a measurable effect of, mm -hmm. of blessings, really. Mm -hmm. uh, so so uh, there are... Uh, but uh, Max Planck, he, he once said that science progresses uh, funeral for funeral, you know. <laughs> because the defenders of the old paradigm, they have more less to die out because they identify, uh, they research, the uh, self-esteem is more or less identified uh, with the old paradigm, so they will not let it go. And even uh, the, the guy who, who gave us the concept paradigm uh, as, uh, uh, in, in the philosophy of science, uh, Thomas Kuhn, said also that, that uh, the, the old researchers uh, have to die before there is uh, this. Uh, so, yeah, it's a kind of strange way of being optimistic, but uh, yeah. <laughs> Well, I suppose many people have been educated to believe yes. that uh, everything has to boil down to atoms and molecules, that the, the universe yes. is composed of inert matter. Uh, mm. So the alternative to that uh, is, I suppose, uh, well, there are several alternatives, but one is that everything is really composed of consciousness. Yes, uh, that would be the idealistic position, and that's uh, quite old in in, uh, in, in mm -hmm. European tradition. Spinoza, for instance, uh, Berkeley, for instance. Uh, so, so it. Uh, and uh, if you go back to Platon, uh, that uh, the world of ideas is uh, somehow uh, coming uh, before. Uh, the physical world. So, so that's a very old tradition, and uh, the Vedantas, as we have mentioned a couple of times, and uh, no, also some, at least some. Well, they say it's uh, eight basic interpretation in quantum physics. You know, so it, it depends uh, who you will listen to. But at least a couple of those interpretations will give consciousness uh, a very important place. Mm -hmm. Well, as a historian of ideas, would you say? that uh, you regard ideas as real? It's a very good question. Uh, I could elaborate quite a lot on that. Uh, on some place, they are real. Uh, for instance, a mathematical law, that is the idea of the triangular, you know, the Pythagorean, uh, is somehow an idea, and it's very real, because it will, uh, it will be valid for all... Uh, triangulars uh, past and present and future and even in uh, other universes so so they are real but uh, it's very difficult because it's not always easy to, to measure them or weigh them you know so. <laughs> <laughs> in, in other words an idea can be real even if it's non-physical 
Yeah, I would say that. Uh, clearly, I say that just uh, to uh, take an historical example, uh, the idea of a freedom, uh, at least the uh, idealist interpretation of the French Revolution is that the idea of, of freedom spreads really and manifested in the French Revolution, throwing out the, the nobility. So that would be a, a very real uh, a non-material thing, the idea of freedom having very real material effects. In, in history, in, in other words, human history itself is influenced by ideas. Wrongly. And also, uh, we should not perhaps go too much into that, but uh, in modern times, uh, both nationalism, as we see in Europe today, uh, growing quite a lot, and then also, of course, uh, uh, Islamic fundamentalism, uh, jihadism, and so on. So, so yeah, ideas uh, are very powerful for, for good or for bad. Mm -hmm. Well, the, the Marxists attempted to analyze history and, and the role of ideas from a materialistic uh, philosophy. Yes, that's the red, uh, reductionist position also. He said it's just a kind of reflection of the basis. Uh, so it, that would be the the competition between, say, the bourgeois and, and the working class, you know, and uh, as they say, uh, you say, the ruling ideas are the, the ideas of the ruling class. So that is merely a re reflection of, of the, say, the social consciousness. But uh, I, I don't like this kind of redu reductionism, and uh, somehow it seems to be not uh, real also, because suddenly there happen, uh, there comes new ideas. You can see in science and in philosophy and so on, so, and I, I don't see the, the materialist uh, paradigm of Marxism explaining, giving a good explanation for, uh, say, uh, innovation. Mm -hmm. and, and yet, I suppose it's fair to say that the Marxists uh, were able to conduct paranormal research uh, using that materialistic framework. It didn't stop them. No, but uh, that is a very ambivalent thing also, be, 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 because behind the Iron Curtain, there were, were quite a lot of research on the paranormal. Uh, but also, it, it had a very divided status. Some, of course, were very into this, but the others just mocked it and uh, say, oh, it's just kind of old bourgeois, uh, you know, thing that it, it should be have uh, been thrown away now. Uh, but they did uh, quite a lot of uh, research, uh, but then they tried to explain it within uh, just by expanding a bit on uh, the uh, original materialistic paradigm, saying that these were part of uh, uh, not yet uh, discovered physical force, for mm -hmm. instance. Yeah, yeah. That, w that would be one way to deal with it. And on the other hand, I have heard many of the uh, skeptics, they call themselves skeptics. I think of them more as scoffers or deniers, but, uh, but they, they would argue that, uh, uh, exploration of the paranormal is dangerous because, uh, the Nazis were involved and it leads people <laughs> to, uh, to superstitious thinking. And once they begin to think in a superstitious manner, they become susceptible to manipulation by authoritarian dictators. Mm-hmm. Uh -huh. 
Yeah, of course, uh, everything, as they say, everything that can be used can be misused. You can use a knife for cutting bread or for killing your neighbor, you know. So, of course, it's not, uh, there is power in this. And you see that with uh, not only with Nazis, but with the gurus, for instance, you know, uh, sexual and uh, financial exploitations of followers and such things. But, you know, that that is can be said about everything, really. Mm-hmm. Uh, for instance, capitalism, okay, is it a good thing or is it a bad thing, you know, and... Uh, uh, and a, a car is it a good thing or a bad thing you know it, it, it can transport people it can kill people you know so so it's uh, like everything in this world I think it's black and white with the paranormal as well but it does not mean that the, the, these phenomena are not real <laughs> mm. well one of the things that impressed me the most about your book is that you you begin with and, and throughout your book you emphasize the practical applications you focus extensively on uh, the work in our Archaeology and military intelligence and in healing and uh, other areas where what we call the paranormal is actually quite useful. Yes, uh, I uh, give some very interesting historical uh, examples uh, and also in the New York Times. Uh, uh, yeah, just uh, to give a short example, this uh, uh, they found uh, Richard the Third uh, of a clairvoyant haunch from from a screenwriter, Scottish screenwriter, uh, and uh, you know the, those uh, bones uh, had been de- <laughs> away for several hundred years, and suddenly she found herself in a parking space, and she knew here is Richard buried, and uh, she organized an uh, archaeological. Uh, excuse my English, please. Uh, uh, excavation and uh, they uh, done a DNA test and found that this was in fact Richard, you know. Uh, so that could be a practical application. But uh, my uh, say my foremost interest is really how you can use those phenomena in your daily life, you know, as an extended quality to intuition. Because a uh, uh, very famous book for this uh, Nobel Prize winning uh, psychologist in in economics, really Daniel Kahneman, he reduces uh, intuition. Uh, to just kind of a uh, uh, learned pattern, you know, mm-hmm. uh, like a p- pilot, you know, having uh, done his his uh, uh, movements many, many times, you know, you just uh, do it like that. And intuition is not a kind of new insight. It's just kind of, uh, yeah, t- things going on, on autopilot, really. Uh, and I don't share that. Uh, I feel strongly that uh, by developing uh, intuition, as has been done in the esoteric schools uh, and by magicians and uh, uh, occultists, uh, you can really uh, expand your horizon on yourself and you can live a better life. You can know uh, who to use time together with. Should I ask for this job or should I apply somewhere else? And so, so uh, uh, the practical application in your daily life, that is what is really most important to me. Mm-hmm. Have you found uh, that you're able to uh, make use of uh, clairvoyance, telepathy, or precognition in, in your own personal life? Uh, to some extent, I'm not extremely gifted in this, but uh, I would say that I have had uh, several experiences uh, that would be, if, uh, at least from my perspective, most reasonable to perceive as uh, episodes of clairvoyance, episodes of telepathy, and, and also precognition, uh, precognitive dreams. I could give you several examples on that, and that has helped me in, in several uh, occasions. But, uh, of course, um, <laughs> I, I, I compare with musicians, you know, uh, uh, you can uh, learn to sing in your own shower, but uh, you should perhaps not uh, work as a professional musician. You know? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Yeah. Uh, 
So, so for my own benefit, I feel that uh, my intuition uh, has become better, and uh, I, I think I, at least I hope I take better decisions now because of that. Well, you seem to be suggesting minimally that if we want to understand who we are as human beings, that an appreciation of the paranormal is very important because it, it's part of our nature. Yes, exactly. Uh, and I feel somehow it's uh, our birthright, uh, uh, birthright and, and our uh, heritage. And uh, uh, I feel that can be a very valuable uh, addition to say the norm because it, uh, I would say uh, I don't uh, I don't think I told so many about it. Uh, my book was written after the, the initiative from uh, a friend of mine, experienced mm-hmm. psychotherapist. Mm-hmm. And I t- told him about my ideas and he said, write this down. It can be very helpful for many, many people, he said. Uh, and in fact, in my little town here, he has placed uh, three copies of my book uh, <laughs> uh, at his ward, you know, so the young psychologist can read. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> because uh, when people have experiences, say uh, you have a telep- uh, telepathy or precognitive dream, and so, and you have a paradigm that say, no, these this do not exist. Uh, that is a problem. Uh, you cannot re-own yourself in in a sound way. So I feel that uh, uh, opening up to the paranormal is a very healthy thing to do, done in the right uh, way, because you can somehow... There is a richness in our consciousness that uh, the old paradigm in psychology uh, do, uh, does not allow for. Mm-hmm. Well, Terry Simonsen, it's been a real pleasure interviewing you. I commend you on writing an encyclopedic book about uh, the paranormal. I hope it does extremely well in the marketplace. It's certainly one of the best books uh, on the subject that I've ever read. Thanks a lot, Jeff. I, I love hearing that from you. Well, thank you for being with me. Just a pleasure. Mm-hmm.